Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Helming Power Hour. And here to bring some wildlife back to life, here's my partner, Danny Bennett. I'm here today, and it is my great privilege to um, meet up with my cohort in crime, Rick Morgan, and also our distributor, our pharmaceuticals distributor, <laughs> Bo Ransdell. The uh, puts that ship Legion podcast on the air for you to hear. So we're here to talk about two early '80s movies: uh, John Carpenter's romantic sci-fi thriller Starman. There's a Starman. And 1981's Arthurian legend tour de force by John Borman Excalibur. And it, I'm thrilled to death to be able to talk to you about it. Go all the way to the end because there's a whole lot of content. Oh yeah. Lots of stuff. It's a great, great movie. I, I love both of these, really. So uh, another great pair to revisit. Um, you may be hearing this as the beginning, but it's actually the end because we just taped it. So we're a little bit tongue-tied. We've done so much talking. Yes. We've worked hard for you, the listeners. Because we love you. That's right. It's the only reason. Speaking it's of that, talking about spreading the love, we've got some new things going on. If you guys have noticed, we got merchandise for one thing. So uh, I've noticed where people are ordering T-shirts and stuff like that. That's really, really cool. Never in a hundred years would I thought people would buy T-shirts of me and Danny talking. <laughs> it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But, uh, hey, that's cool, you know. We're not making a penny off that either. It's just that's the price of what that stuff is. So if you're interested in that stuff, it's on the Facebook page. You can find the link to it. Go to it. We got all kinds of stuff, water bottles, Coffee mugs, you name it. Right, and, I'm sure uh, we can work something out where if you really want a T-shirt that has Rick and I on it, and right. maybe a poster, you know, saying, you know, "Will you marry me?" or something, and sure. we could probably get that done too. Yeah. W what better way to say I love you <laughs> than with the gift of a spatula? <laughs> yes, Helming spatulas coming soon. So look out for that for sure. Also, uh, just as a weird kind of request. People are wanting ringtones of things that are from our show. So if you're interested in anything like that, shoot us a message on Facebook. We'll hook you up. I think that's pretty cool. So people wanted uh, like their messages to go, Hell Ming, or stuff like that. So uh, whatever floats your boat. Uh, also, at the time we're recording this, I'm a little late on this one. But I want to give a quick little shout out to Eric Taylor, uh, a buddy of mine at work. And uh, they just had a new addition to their family. They had a, a new baby girl. So uh, congratulations on that. 
keep listening, man. He's he's a big fan of the show and uh, just appreciate that. But wish him and his family all the best. Congratulations, Eric. And uh, just a word to the wise, the Hail Mang Power Hour spatula is not for fruit preparation. Yep. It is for decoration only. Right. Yeah. Just be careful with that. Congratulations on your on your baby girl, though. <laughs> when when a child is born, a father is born. Wow. We're getting deep now, folks. Oh, deep in it. Hold the time. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the episode. All right. So, we'll be so, right so, back. So. Episode. So, 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 so. <laughs> In 1984, the movie Starman was released in theaters directed by John Carpenter. That same year, David Bowie sat down to do an interview with Music Television. That interview has never before been heard until now. Hello, this is David Bowie, and I would like to invite you to watch my new documentary called Starman. It's just been released in theaters. It's about a man from space that comes down. Yeah, man. Excuse me, David. Um, th- this movie is not about you, man. What? Wh- what do you mean? No, it's 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 a John Carpenter film in theaters right now. It, it's not a documentary. What? What? What in the bloody hell do you mean? It's not about me. It, it stars Jeff Bridges, for Christ's sake. It's called Starman, and it's about a man from space that comes down, just like in the song. Like Ziggy Stardust and the spiders. Look, David, look. Don't be a space oddity, all right? I know you're going through some ch-ch-changes. But we could be heroes, if just for one day. No, no. No. Let's dance, David. Go. Share the fame. I know you're under pressure from the China girl. But don't bow down to the man who sold the world. Well, bloody hell, then. We just need to get along with some modern love. That's all I'm saying. What are you talking about? How, how could this not be about me? It's called Starman. It's about a man from f***ing space. You're trying to say it has nothing to do with David Bowie? I've already done this bloody movie anyway. The man who fell to Earth is the exact same premise. Ah, oh, all right episode 11 can't believe we made it this long because danny's hard to work with but uh shut up (laughs) shut up linda yeah man uh super excited about this the man behind the plan the reason that we got hooked up with with legion podcast uh our sensei i guess you would say so tickled to have him on the show and that would be mr bo ransdale yeah Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the, the clapping just abruptly stops and then kicks in for a second again. That's great. That's about what I, I deserve. Technical like, difficulties. Yeah. I'm just like, we're enthusiastic, then let's get a look at you. You know what? Here's just the appropriate amount of pandering <laughs> applause. 
Um, hey, no, it's awesome to be here. I, I, I can't wait to talk about uh, both of these movies for totally different reasons. Um, so, uh, but for those who don't know me, yes, I run uh, legionpodcasts.com uh, where you can hear this very show. Um, as well as other shows I do, like You Are Here Go Show, which is all about Asian horror. It's awesome. And Duncan and <laughs> do what? I said, it's awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, you were on, and eventually I will I will get Danny into the fold. Yes. Um, uh, I do uh, Duncan and Bo Come Correct uh, with Duncan McLeish, who you had on an earlier episode, and sorry about that. <laughs> um, and uh, The Shodcast, which is all about video games. And I'm also a screenwriter, and if, uh, if, if you like slasher movies, uh, you might like Lost After Dark, which is the one I wrote. Which um, is really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like, you have to almost have seen about five other movies, and then the movie totally works. <laughs> um, if you've never seen a slasher before, I don't know that it's entirely successful. Uh, yeah. But for it was a movie made for horror fans. Right, right. There are a lot of callbacks to Fulci and... Uh, Carpenter, of course, and yeah, it's yeah, one it of tip, those movies. Tips a hat to a lot of a lot of things in the genre, and that's what I enjoyed about it. So, if you're a horror fan, absolutely check that movie out. Yeah, and I get like an eighth of a cent every time somebody buys a copy. So, <laughs> you know, buy three or four thousand, preferably. Um, we, we have some stock. Uh, so, yeah, so that's all the stuff I do, and I also do a little prose writing and and all that kind of stuff. But if, if you want to find out what I'm doing, go to legionpodcasts.com, and that's. Right. That's the majority of everything I do. So uh, I kind of asked Bo to do this because I knew I would screw it all up because, like I said, he's involved in so many things. But Danny and I are very, very thankful that, that uh, he heard our first show and, and kind of took us under his wing and, and taught us a lot of things. And uh, we just really appreciate that and glad to have him on the show. He's he's a fun pr- character as well. So uh, just tickled to have him on here. Thanks, man. Also, uh, I want to pitch an idea for you guys. I'm thinking of starting a uh, a pro Braveheart podcast <laughs> where we just sit around and take each scene of Braveheart and talk about how awesome it is. Hailing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's just going to be called uh, This is for Duncan. I think it should be called Freedom! <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to do is jump straight into our first movie. Of course, I'm talking about 1984's Starman. And to give us a synopsis on that, we have uh, Bullwinkle Moose. Hello, boys and girls. This is Bullwinkle Moose. Starman, 1984. An alien takes form of a young widow's husband and asks her to drive him from Wisconsin to Arizona. The government tries to stop them. It got a 7.0 out of 10. And it also reminds me of a little poem. Starman, Starman on the wall. Don't you have any brains at all? Can't you see the walls have been plastered? Can't you see that, you little Starman? Well done. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my my favorite Bullwinkle moment uh, ever has to be, um, Hey, Ruggy, I think this is an A-bomb. And Rocky says, A-bomb? And he goes, yeah, that's what some people call our show. <laughs> so good. Uh, I grew up a I think Bullwinkle my, fan. my favorite uh, Bullwinkle moment is when he just read Starman on our show. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You're right. You're right. It, yeah! Like he's... Our in-house studio crowd loves it. He's a major hit, apparently. 
<laughs> I like that last guy. Yay! All right. I'm going to launch right in with the first reason I have to watch Starman. Oh, okay. And that is Charles Martin Smith as Mark Sherman. All right. All right. I might be off the reservation here. I'm sure there are lots of reasons to watch it. There's a, you know, space mysticism. But the guy that keeps bringing you home to the story, the guy that brings like uh, a real goodness to the the overarching government system is Charles Martin Smith. You might remember him from Never Cry Wolf. He played right. the uh, the researcher who ate the mice and and you know saved the wolves up in Alaska who lived with them. For me, when I was watching this movie, he kept bringing me home. Every time I started to stray like into the story, because the story is a love story, it's a sci-fi story, it's got a lot of elements. He brought it home, and he restored my faith in the whole experience. He's fantastic. There, the scene where he first goes into the ship uh, after they drill into it, and and finds the record that they sent on the uh, the the probe, right, and and says, you know. You know, this is a record. I actually helped put this together. It says, you know, hello, we, here's where we're located. Come by and see us sometime. Right. And you know, like he is, like, I think the whole movie, not to get too deep into this, but I think the whole movie is this argument about individuals being good, organizations being bad. And he is that individual within an organization that is doing all the right things and, and trying to actually you know, like he encapsulates the wonder of this thing of like, here's a here's an alien be alien being who's traveled to Earth. And all I want to do is ask him some questions, you know, right. and yeah. he restores your faith. Yeah. You see him yeah. respond when when he goes to the lab and they've got all the straps to hold him down and all this stuff. And, you know, he's like, wow, you know, greetings. Welcome to Earth, you know. And, yeah, uh, he has a lot of those moments. Of, like the, you know, we invited him here. Like, forget morality. What about basic hospitality? We right. invited him to our planet. Yeah. yeah. So that ties into my first reason: Rolling Stones in space. <laughs> <laughs> so the opening, you have a uh, where we've launched the Voyager two into space to make contact, and uh, while it's burning its way through space, you hear a little Rolling Stones with. I can't get no satisfaction. Yeah, it, it's awesome. Like, it, I don't know how much they paid for usage of that because they only use it briefly once, really. And then, uh, you know, he, Jeff Bridges sings it a little bit, which right. you still have to pay royalties for. But um, yeah, but I, I do like that. I think it's, it's a pretty striking image. And, you know, it's the thing that, uh, uh, what's his face? The guy, in the, the smart guy in the wheelchair, Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Um, which is, what it says on his business cards. I can't uh. get no satisfaction. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he says like, this is a terrible idea. We should not be sending these things out into space to let possibly much further advanced civilizations know where we are and roughly what technological state we're in. Cause we could end up all being slaves. We could have sent us some ice, ice baby, some vanilla ice. I mean, that's a declaration of war. You send vanilla ice to another planet. They are loading up the space armada. Or we could have sent uh Tiffany, Flash. you know, I don't mean like an album. I'm talking about like actually Tiffany, just load her up, send her. Kind of <laughs> right. You know, re reenact the scene from like what mega gator versus crocolisk or whatever, where <laughs> Debbie Gibson and uh, Tiffany fight. Right. You just use that set as one big trap uh, to, to shoot them into space. I'm fine with that. I, I think both. that uh, they probably need to send the movie flash dance. Oh yes. That'd definitely do it. Yeah. I, you know, you guys have, have, as far as I hear it, sworn to do that in your last episode. So <laughs> that's how 
in my mind, that's how the, this mythology exists. That flash dance marks the end of Hail Mary. There are rumors about us. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Next point. Why don't you take it away, Bo? Um, I mean, Jeff Bridges. His performance is incredible in this movie. In fact, I think he was nominated for an Oscar for it. And it, it's fun to see his performance go from, I, I barely understand English, and I have these canned phrases that I can repeat. And throughout the film, he becomes more conversational and more human, um, you know, which is really the thrust of the story is, is him feeling human emotions and that kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's incredible in it. Like if being, and I, I feel like this is the, the real beginning of Jeff Bridges weirdo performances. Sure. Um, you know, because he's, you know, the King Kong, the De Laurentiis King Kong, he's a little weird in that movie, but not nearly like this, where it's just like, you're playing an alien, and Jeff Bridges is like, I got it. Yeah. I have never felt quite like one of you. This is going to be perfect for me. Uh, and I'm yeah, glad, I think he's fantastic. I'm it. glad you brought up the King Kong. I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, I love that version. Yeah. Oh, tick of the clock, ge- geologically speaking. Um, yeah, I that's a movie that I've seen more than any human being should. Uh, but every, yeah, yeah. So every I, version I, of it with the extra scenes or you know retake scenes, I've got all that stuff. So, <laughs> oh, okay. I, I don't know if I've seen all that stuff. I I might have over the course. It's been years since I've seen it, but it's one of those that I feel like I could probably pretty much recite. That was also sure. the beginning of uh, later when we talk about my uh, my crush on Karen Allen, oh, Jessica Lange. Jessica Lange, man. Yeah. Yes. So, there is a sheer um, dress and a waterfall. That's all you need to know about that. That's what I think. So, so fun, fact about, uh, fun fact about Godzilla, the Dino De Laurentiis Godzilla. It actually was uh, originally going to be titled Starman 2. <laughs> sure. Yep. We're, we're, it comes back. Godzilla learns to love. Giant gorilla. Oh, he's still Starman. It's still Jeff Bridges. Oh, okay. So but when did Godzilla when did, is still a giant gorilla? It's just Jeff Bridges came. He found a way to stay in the body, and while he was there, you know, he he found the giant gorilla named Godzilla. Yeah, I look Godzilla. like Jeff Bridges, so you're not a little bit jumpy, King Kong. You would like to kill King Kong. <laughs> Well, they find King Kong like dead and strapped on the hood of the tanker and Jeff Bridges goes out there with his little blue ball and brings it back. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, but if you did that, you wouldn't have King Kong lives, you know? Ah, man, I, I never saw it. it. It just looked like even that looked too terrible for me. It's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> the best thing about King Kong lives is it's cameo in uh, the big hit. <laughs> The big hit. That's awesome. Yeah, because he rented the movie and he never returns it. The guy keeps calling him. Oh, well, there's a hello, little girl. No, I can't give you King Kong lives because it's still in Melvin Smiley's house. <laughs> he owes like, I don't know, $300 for late fees because he's kept it so long. For all of you at home who don't know what we're talking about, uh, big hit aside, there used to be places where you could rent movies. <laughs> <laughs> and this person rented one and never returned it. That that was the plot line there. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's it's hard to find those places in the wild anymore. I mean, aside from the Red Box, the Red Box is essentially the video store of a new generation. Right. 
depersonalized and like to pick from because we're all kind of in the same area. There was a, a place in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I can't think of the name of it now, but it was a, a little video store that was near the campus of Middle Tennessee State University. And it was uh, a BHS rental place when I was going to college there. And it had uh, like the, the guys behind the counter and stuff were incredible movie buffs. Yeah. And it's you called, would just, it was called video culture. That's right. Video culture. And I used to would, live a block away from it. I, yeah, I did too. Um, and well, I wasn't that close. I was probably, eh, I was probably about four blocks away, but anyway, yeah, but you could just go in and, and kind of rap with the guys for a second and be like, I'm kind of in the mood for something like Fulci's the beyond. And they'd be like, Oh, well, have you seen house, you know, the, yeah. the house by the cemetery? No, I have not. You know, um, really cool. Really. And I, I kind of miss that now. I, I think maybe podcasts have taken the place of that, of turning people on to obscure movies, right? Which is fine and dandy. I like that. Okay, speaking of turning people on, the next reason you should watch Starman is the glowing-headed baby. <laughs> that turned you on? Oh, yeah. So when Starman comes to our world and has the uh, John Carpenter Halloween cam moment where he walks into the house like right. he's looking through a mask, right? Um, he, he finds a photo album and a lock of hair, uses that DNA, and starts to grow into Scott, the... Uh, lost husband of our main other main character and uh, as he does you got some great practical effects of a of a a being growing from infant to adult on the floor of this living room right. and it's a uh, it's really an amazing thing to throw in the middle of a love story that's also a sci-fi story it's also an uh, uh allegory to you know government versus you know the the goodness of man it's a uh, well you're going to you're going to scratch your head the thing about that is, it, it is directly American Werewolf in London. It, that's that's what that scene is, without a doubt. Do you know the people that were behind that? Listen, I this. do. I Man. do. Okay, you want to you want to reveal it? It's Dick Miller, uh, no. Rick Baker, and Stan Winston. Dick Smith, not Dick. Dick Miller. Smith. Oh, Dick Miller uh, was in a cameo during the production of the special effects. <laughs> So I, I, it still counts, but yeah, you're right, Dick Smith. Come on, man. The three biggest names in special effects, Dick Smith, Stan Winston, and Rick Baker. I mean, that is, that's an effects person's dream, and they put that together, and, and it is. It's, it's, if you like American Werewolf in London, you're going to like this scene because it is pretty identical to it. It's just a baby turning into a man instead of you know a man turning into a wolf. So you might could intersplice those. That might be pretty cool. Like werewolf bar mitzvah. Spooky <laughs> scary. <laughs> Man Boys become, becoming or, men. Yeah, men becoming wolves. Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so being that you brought up uh, that we're all in the same area, which is Tennessee, this movie was mainly shot in Tennessee. How about that? Manchester, Tennessee. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's great because, you you know, it's such an out of the way place. You can film all kinds of stuff there and nobody's going to bother you. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a um, I saw a Waffle House late in, and I was like, "There's no way this is in Arizona. They don't have Waffle <laughs> Houses anywhere outside the Mason Dixon line or past Texas." I love the fact too that in this scene, when 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 the military shoots down his uh, spaceship, and this huge explosion happens not far from her house, she doesn't wake up. <laughs> But she wakes up when a blue light starts shining in her bed in the living room. You know, it's just like, she must have really been hung over because that explosion was unbelievable. 
<laughs> yeah. For, well, the first, you know, real scene that she's in when she discovers uh, the Starman, she wakes up kind of inappropriately, but then turns around and just passes right the hell out again. So, right. you know, she's conscious for about a minute and a half during the transformation and then she's done. Right. Which makes sense to me. Yeah, it's definitely something you don't expect to see in your living room. It, it's only happened to me twice. Wait, so, the the transformation. Yeah, yeah, the transformation of a, a of a, a star base being into a human. Um, yeah, I don't like. I don't know how often it happens for you guys. I don't live in a big starman infested area. I don't either. Gated community. <laughs> I, I mean, it would be nice to have them around, though. They could probably fix stuff with those balls. It may be happening at my house, but instead of people, they're just turning into donkeys. Because we keep having more and more donkeys pop up around. So That's got to make a mess. One of my favorite moments uh, from uh, Jeff Bridges' acting point of view is just the look on his face when he has brought the deer back to life. Right. And laid out the, you know, the guy who comes out to confront him. And his, his, uh, the guy that he punched out, uh, that guy's buddies are rushing towards him. Yeah. And it, it, it's a great shot where the camera is pushing on, right. on Jeff Bridges as he's approaching them. Yeah. And he's just got his hands out and kind of smiling. Yeah. Like, like he's going hey, to hug I, them or whatever. I knocked out yeah. that mean guy. <laughs> and then just gets the ever-living hell beat out of him. It's And, of course, it, the guy he knocks out is Ted White. Uh, yeah. You know, Jason from uh, Part 4, I believe. Yeah, my favorite of, of the uh, Friday the 13th films. As you know what? That, that's up there for me, too. Yeah, Bridges is amazing at though. I mean, you're totally right. It's it's like without his performance, this movie doesn't work, and uh, it, and he is incredible. Plus, for all you sex fiends out there, you get to see uh, <laughs> you get to see Jeff Bridges play with his balls on the front porch. That's accurate. <laughs> Absolutely. There is a moment that's a bit of a tease, and I I know that I'm speaking of sexual perverts. Uh, I'm going to sound like one, but. <laughs> Uh, keep in mind, like I saw this movie originally when I was, you know, preteen to, right. you know, like in entering puberty kind of thing. And there's a great scene with Karen Allen when she's uh, they've got a, a motel room yeah, and she's talking to him and she does this thing where she's about to take her top off. Right. And then it's like, oh, sorry, you just look so much like Scott. I, you know, it, it seemed natural to do it. And you're just like, no, no, it's natural. <laughs> Keep keep going. I'm Scott. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of a hammy story in terms of like, you know, this is about an alien who comes to Earth and, and discovers the power of love. Yep. Um, but without the performance performances to anchor it, like Jeff Bridges and and the naivete he expresses and, and kind of going back to, to my recommendation for why you should see it, there is this sense of just like overwhelming, like, yeah, there are times humanity can really get you down, but there's also a bravery and, and emotional uh, solidity to being a human being that is unique to us, you know? And th- and that's one thing that this movie kind of goes out of its way to, to say is that despite all our savagery, we're also capable of great beauty. Right. And, and I like that. I like that message in my movies, even if, as Carpenter said, that's not true. It's yeah. just what I wish were true. Sure. Well, in, in order to, to cleanse himself of Starman, he went and made They Live. So, well, and, like, and They Live is the the cynical version of this. Right. Yeah. I, allow me to allow me to, to edify what I said. I wasn't saying that They Live expunges Starman because it was so bad. 
I'm saying if 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 unrelenting optimism is is what he was you know was saying is an untrue situation, then they live is definitely yeah. a remedy for that because it's unrelenting pessimism all right. the way to the end. Yeah, they live is absolutely the the anti star man of here are aliens that are here to make sure that we continue to consume and just be you know we're sheeple people. It's a great movie though. Yep. It has an unnecessary wrestling scene, which makes it wonderful. <laughs> I think it's well, let, let, let's take a minute to to defend the movie by saying, you know, it's hard to put it in a genre. When you sit right. down to watch it, you know, you're probably not thinking, I really want to watch a romance, sci-fi, like on the road movie that's kind of like E.T. grown up. Right. You know, nobody really walks in, you know, thinking that. So if they thought it was going to be a romance, they're going to be turned off by the the practical effects and by some of the violence. If they thought it was going to be like E.T., they might be turned off by some of the adult content. If they think it's going to be an allegory to, you know, to government control, they might be turned off by the optimism at the end. So it's one of those things where because it's such a complete package, it makes it hard for you to get in the mindset of a particular kind of movie. Carpenter is not necessarily not just known for optimism, uh, which he is most certainly not, but also just it being a love story at all. Um, I think is something that that's kind of contradictory to most of his films, other right. than say something like memoirs of an invisible man. And sure. the less you think about that, the better off you are. I love <laughs> memoirs of an invisible man. I love it. You're love a crazy it, person. It, love <laughs> I love it. It is so good. I, I don't want to color your perception of the film. I will say that it did not hold up very well on a, on a viewing for me. Hey, valet park your high horse and get off a of Chevy chase. <laughs> you know, all right. So can we talk real quick about it? The unsung hero of this movie, Richard Jekyll, right? Who, uh, when last seen by me personally, was taking pot shots at a grizzly bear. Exactly. <laughs> me and my wife were watching it, and I said, that's the dude who gets killed by the grizzly. She's like, I hated that guy. He's kind of great in this, and I love the fact that that Carpenter picks this kind of, not always a B-movie character actor, but very much a character actor that's you know famous for stuff like Magnificent Seven and yeah. you know Grizzly. And, but he, he plays a great jerk in this, right. almost to the point of being absurd. I'm just like, nobody is this. Maybe they are, but it, it just comes across as like being so militaristic and like, yes, we are being greeted by an advanced alien civilization. We should probably kill it as soon as possible. Yeah. Are, we, are uh, you talking about a director, George Fox? Is that who you're talking about? The Yes. Yeah. I, I had to, you know, I, I wrote down the director when they were just calling him that. And I was like, as soon as his name comes around. And then, you know, I started thinking about his name being Fox and, and like the possible X-Files connection. But that might have been a stretch. Um, it's just, you know, the fact that his name was Fox and he was the government and he was the one that was trying to keep the aliens, you know, as enemies. I just. Hmm. That's interesting. That would make sense, though. If he were like Fox Mulder's father. Yeah. George Fox. And, Fox yeah. Mulder. And you're right. That's how naming works. And boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. <laughs> but like that would make Fox Mulder real open to the idea of aliens and and making contact and all that stuff because he's rebelling against his father's very hardline military stance against aliens. Wow, we just right. We just created a whole new theorem of Starman and X Files. How about that, folks? Only here on the Hail Ming Pow Wow. It's a bunch of crap is what it is. <laughs> you don't talk to guests like that. <laughs> uh, they try not to let me talk to guests at all. Yeah. Now I see why, Danny. 
Look, look, but let's get back to this. People right. are listening to this and they're going to say, why do I watch Starman, right? So so why do they watch Starman? I'm just going to go ahead and, and try and, and nail down some of the reasons so far. We've got my first reason was Charles Martin Smith, uh, Mark Sherman, the character. Uh, he, he brings it home to being the everyman who's involved, who brings humanity to the, to the government machine. Um, I've got the explosion budget which I didn't mention particularly, but we did say how huge the explosion was when the craft yeah. hits Earth. It must have been an amazing explosion budget. So if you just like Terminator 2 and you just really want to see some explosions, check out Starman. It's pretty much the same movie. Right. Um, <laughs> I've got Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. I've got the uh, the practical effects where where he grows from a baby to an adult. It's like something you haven't seen in a while. Um, I've got striking performances right. you know, from from Karen Allen, and from Jeff Bridges particularly, they have to carry the movie because so much of it's about them on the road. And they both do a, a phenomenal job of bringing their, their acting chops and, and, and just creating this, this uh, relationship between these people that are both you know, under duress. One of them is under duress. The other one is, is lost and alone and not even human. And y- you believe it, um, which is what good actors do. Uh, five, I've got, it's got optimism, you know, and, and there isn't enough optimism in the world today. You watch this and you're thinking, oh, aliens and conspiracies, it must be all about doom and gloom. Well, it's not. It's about how things could go if the right people are in the right place at the right time. And then number six, I'm, I'm throwing in there, you know, you've got d- the uh, director, George Fox. He's a character actor that Bo mentioned. He's going to say his name right after I'm done here because I didn't write it down and I didn't have it before. And uh, he does a great job of bringing the other side. He's kind of the institution, and he's kind of the enemy. Richard Jekyll, like Richard Jackal with an E. Okay, cool. Um, but that, yeah, that's his name. And yeah, I would say just as a whole, it is it like like you were saying earlier. It's all these different movies. It's kind of a sci-fi romance buddy road movie with heavy moralistic overtones. Yep. And and I think it juggles all that stuff real well, and and it, it's got it, it's one of those movies that's just so good hearted. Right. It's hard for me, at least, not to like. And I'm a bit of a sentiment sentimental guy. Like it, it, it's weird. I don't cry at funerals, but you put the right movie in front of me, and you know it's Niagara Falls, Frankie. Wow. Uh, Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a real problem with that. Where like I don't understand your human emotions. But uh, with movies, I, I'm a big sap. And this movie, like, I get choked up in this movie. The the scene when he brings back the deer, right? Uh, I I do get. I have a real emotional response to that because I hate you know. <laughs> as we said, we all live in Tennessee, and you you see a fair amount of yep. uh, that kind of thing. And I I you know, yep. I don't know. It 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 it, it does my heart good when I see the star man bring bring a deer that's been shot by a hunter back right. to life. And lets him go back to his woodland home. Yeah, absolutely. Like I remember as a kid, one of the things I do remember about the movie, you know, the the things that that are burned into my memory are him bringing that deer back to life. It is, it is that Spielbergian, you know, E.T. Right. moment where this amazing thing happens to to the degree that you know there's a glow afterward. You know, the, this 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 creature that he doesn't understand why it was killed. He just brings it back to life. Right. And and it also, of course, sets up later when he, he does the same for Karen Allen. But I was about um, to bring that up. To me, there's a turning point in this movie, not to spoil it, but when she gets shot, you hear the music cue. And it turns into a Carpenter film right there at that point. It really changes. 
that's where you get your typical kind of carpenter feel of the movie. And that one just really stands out to me. And then he, you know, basically, you know, lays his balls on her and brings her back like they do in the Golden Child. Golden Child. Hey, so, you know, I, I just want to ask you guys about um, her getting killed. It's like there, there's a struggle over the pistol and then the cops who are like just going to shoot into the car because that's what cops do. Yeah. Um, like she gets shot and it's like, boom, and she's right. dead. You know, there's no writhing around. Yeah. She's hitting the side. Her side is covered with some blood, like like she got shredded by some kind of thing. And she just dies right there. Yeah. I thought that was really odd. Well, like I, I mean, said, like, watch well, it Well, do again. you want her to do the Reservoir Dogs? Like, I can't believe she shot me, Larry. Yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> Give me one of your balls, Starman. <laughs> uh, we should probably call them orbs from now on. That's entirely too much entendre. Hey, I was talking about the later scene. But yeah, you you got the uh, the car crash scene where you know again he protects her. He walks through the flames carrying her, and she's protected. There's a lot of cool stuff in this movie. Oh, I, I've got to throw out uh, some love for the line, um, and this is this may fall under the umbrella of Charles Martin Smith being great in this movie. But his delivery of he said greetings and melted his lug wrench. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've is got that so good down too. That's yeah. on my notes. Next thing I got on the list, we kind of said it while I go, space baby. Space baby. So so Jenny, you know, tells him, you know, I, I can't have a baby. And he's like, well, why not? And she's like, I just can't. Some people can't. So they, it's established that that's, that's a, it's a major void in her life. And uh, he knows he has to leave. And, and she's explained love. So he's like, I, I want to give her something. And what Boy, is he did he? <laughs> yeah. He gives her the old, the old blue ball treatment. Um <laughs> And gives her a baby. Like it's it's one of those things where they have their their intimate moment together, which is actually a really nice scene. It's very sweet. And uh, my favorite moment in that is when they're kind of kissing, and Jeff Bridges gets stuck in that loop of just kind of half opening his mouth, and she laughs at him. She's like, "You don't know how to do this. Sit back. Let a let a woman do the work." Um, but when <laughs> when she comes to though. And he's just kind of like sitting on the side of the uh, the train car as the uh, the landscape is rolling by, and he's just like, you know, I have given you a baby, Jenny Hayden, <laughs> and she's like, you did what? Oh no, you didn't, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. But in fair, she's like, ah, you know, I I told you I can't have babies. What are you stupid for a star man? And he's he's like, no, no, I promise you, and it is a boy baby, uh, and I hope it's a masculine child. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that like in a, all you have to do is nudge this moment slightly in one direction and it becomes the creepiest thing you ever saw in a movie. Uh, the Starman thing, you know, he's, he's got such a limited knowledge of humanity, but he learns so much. Yeah. It, it's, it's a testimony to the, the fact that it's not just a romance. It's also a, a road movie, right? You know, at the beginning of the journey, they're both in, in places, she's in a place of, of, uh, have duress you know she's lost her she's she's in despair and he's lost and he doesn't understand what's going on around him so the two of them together they not only have a physical journey through well like a car and another car in the back of a truck and uh box cars and by foot and you know they not only that but they also have emotional journeys on on the way they learn a lot about everything they've got to and she ends up stronger and he ends up more knowledgeable of humanity yeah that's the big takeaway for me was 
you know, he talks about where he's from, how it's beautiful. Everybody's the same, you know, and what he takes away with it, which I think is great, is the beauty of individuality. Because what are we if we've not if we're not ourselves? And we keep pushing for more unity and everything being the same. But when you do that, you lose something. And I think that's a big thing that always stuck with me is he talks about the beauty of individuality. And uh, I've carried that for a long time. I don't want to be like somebody else. I want to be like me. My yeah, mom's so like happy you. with that, but hey. <laughs> yeah. I want to be like you. Um, yeah, I, it, it's a it's a great message. And again, one that you don't necessarily expect from John Carpenter, who right. is not known for <laughs> doling out, you know, uplifting uh, human endorsement stories. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's such a great message. It's, it's communicated so well. And, and if maybe a little on the nose sometimes, uh, but I, you know, it's just so it's one of those puppy dog movies. There are just so many things that it, right. it's doing to try to please me as a viewer right. from, you know, the performances to the theme to everything else. I, then I fall for it. I'm, I'm, I'm totally dialed into Starman when I watched it again for this show after, I don't know. I hadn't seen it in a while, but but every time I watch it, man, I just I really adore this movie. I think I think it's so good-hearted and well-meaning, and like you said, you could use more of that in, in this yep. old, tired world. It's like they said in Hardware Wars: you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll kiss three bucks goodbye. <laughs> Not basketball for a peaceful world. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna give it one more breakdown because there are a couple of okay. little things I want to throw in there. Um, and so I'm going to say, you know, define a little bit jumpy. I got to mention that, that, you know, she, he doesn't have a firm understanding of, of uh, the language. So, you know, when she says things where, you know, she's got a, she says them fast or whatever, he doesn't understand it and thinks it's a word. The word little bit jumpy comes up several times. He knows that it means she's under distress and he wants to make her comfortable. Um, I also had, had to hit the jack by Cadillac. That's always good. Yeah. Um, two more things and then I'm done. One is uh, is the take it easy up yours thing. Right. You know, it happens twice where, you know, somebody said, take it easy. And, you know, then he says it to a guy in a bathroom and the guy thinks he's, <laughs> he's, he's looking at him. So he says, up yours. And then later, take it easy, up yours. And that gets him in trouble. <laughs> I learned from this that if I ever meet somebody in like a, like a souped up dune buggy or if I meet people who are North Carolina fans, I can pretty much get them to do anything I can to, to help me. It's like, hey, I really need to get away from these cops. Can you take a cigarette machine and throw it down a flight of stairs? Sure, let's do it. And, uh, and, and you know, hey, I really need to get past these cops. Can you, like, throw a bomb out in the thing and then take off in your dune buggy? Hey, no problem. It, there were some people that were really willing to dr- bend over backwards just to help them out. And, well, they hate the cops. And they were, they were good country folks. <laughs> Except for the deer hunters. You can't trust them. Right. They're going right. to punch you in the gut. <laughs> All right. Bo, as far as rating, we just make up whatever. So. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I, yeah. Because I, I couldn't remember the scale on this show. Well, uh, and, the, and that's probably why. Scale means nothing. Scale. <laughs> I, right. Okay. If that's the case, I'm going to give Starman five blue space balls out of five. Oh, five out of five oh, space balls. Did I take yours, Danny? No. Yeah, yeah, well, I was... You know what? It's first come, first serve. You got it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's a. I think it's a great movie. It's 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 one of those movies that's good to like. You can kind of get away with watching this movie with your kids. It's not too uh, too extreme in terms of the language. You see a little, you know, male buttocks, but 
Uh, and there's one very tame sex scene, but it's, it's, you know, but if your kid's upwards of four years old, they need to be learning that stuff anyway. Um, and, what better place than Starman? Yeah. Oh, and give a, a pack of smokes and a scotch while you're watching it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a fantastic movie. I think, it, I think it's well acted. I think, um, it, it's very fun. It's a great Sunday afternoon movie. If you're feeling kind of lazy and just want to watch something. That's yep. going to entertain you, but if you want to pay attention and, and watch it a little more actively, there's still stuff under the surface that you can mine out of it. But you can also just let this movie breeze on by because it's it's perfect for that too. Right. All right. I'm going to give it a ten military sidekicks with black berets that look like Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm going to give it fifteen rednecks with tire irons. Screaming up yours, <laughs> up yours. Perfect. That's that's a good score. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. And now it's time for church chat. Well, well, well. Hello once again. I'm the church lady, and this is church chat. I'm here to do a little IMDb reading to make your naughty parts tingle. Today we're talking about the movie Starman, a 1984 film that's one hour, 55 minutes. That's an adventure, action, and romance film directed by the great John Carpenter. Well, isn't that special? 32,666 people have seen this film. 666? Isn't that convenient? This movie stars Jeff Bridges... Karen Allen, and M.C. Ganey as cop number two. I see that film school really paid off. In this movie, an alien takes the form of a young widow's husband and asks her to drive him from Wisconsin to Arizona. The government tries to stop them. Well, well, well. I know someone else that's a shapeshifter, changing forms that isn't quite Starman, but it does start with an S. And end with an N? Hmm. Could it be... Satan? Alright, back for moving number two. One of my all-time favorites. I, I made a huge mistake when Danny and I did our special about our favorite things, and I did not have this one in my top ten list. It was a big mistake. This one is in my top ten, and I just totally ignored it, and I feel shameful about it. 1981's Excalibur. This movie is incredible. I love it. I uh, I love this movie a lot. This this is actually one of those movies. My uh, my mom is a uh, a big fan of high fantasy films. Uh, like you know, we took her to see all the Lord of the Rings movies in the theaters and right. Hobbit movies and all that stuff. She really loves that stuff. Game of Thrones just blows her mind. Right. Um, but. I only say that to say like when Excalibur came out and particularly when it hit HBO, this, this is really right. where I encountered the movie um, was when it played HBO about every four and a half hours mm-hmm. uh, back in the early eighties. And I saw this movie a ton. Uh, and it was one of those movies that even though it had a little, uh, a little nipple in it, and uh, was, you know, relatively violent and there was some, some sexy time and stuff. 
Uh, even though I was a kid, my mom was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's, Exc- it's Excalibur. You're learning something probably. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, and, and on HBO, it mattered what time of the day you caught it. Cause during the day they would show the PG version and at night they would show the, the R rated. They actually edited it to show it at different times. Yeah. It's weird that what the R rated version is 20 minutes longer, something like that. I mean, it's yeah. substantially bigger. Yeah. Um, which is the only one to watch. It's right. it's so good. Um, it's one of those movies that on paper sounds like a disaster waiting to happen because right. you're retelling the Arthur legends. Uh, you know, it's the director of deliverance and, um, you know, uh, he who's also done Zardoz. Ooh. So, you know, his track record is let's say spotty. Yep. Uh, in terms of delivering on, you know, epic kind of fantasy stories. Um, but it's just filled with these classically trained actors. Like it, it, it's a relative who's that of British actors <laughs> where you're right. like, you know, Hey, that's Jean-Luc Picard. And that's the guy from taken. And right. then I don't know anybody else. Helen Mirren, I guess is the other real big Helen name. Mirren. Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. Sure. Is yeah. Uther. He plays Uther. Uh, oh okay. man. I just I read where movies. Nigel Terry, who played um, Terry. Uh, yep. King Arthur, um, when he died, he gave his entire fortune. It was like 1.4 million pounds. Uh, he gave it to three charities. Four children. They were like armored for the children and uh, swords for tots. And sure, uh, I, I think nice. the third was uh, was was magic for uh, kindergarten readiness. <laughs> right. <laughs> also, uh, not sleeping with your sub- sister support funds. <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, and, like wait. don't. Don't do what Arthur did. <laughs> While we're on that subject, I just want to say Helen Mirren as as right. Morgan Le Fay, she she looks incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that like cook, uh, the cook, the thief, the wife, and her lover years of Helen Mirren when she is just the most smokingest thing, and she's an incredible actress right. as well. So yeah, I mean, uh, I take nothing away from her as an actress. I'm just saying, like you know, being familiar with her as an older actress, where she still looks amazing. I mean, seeing her just last night when I rewatched this movie uh, in her youth, I mean, she looks incredible. And just like what Bo was saying, too, this is a movie that started my fatuation with all of the medieval-type movies or anything that even touched into that genre, Dragon Slayer, all this stuff. This movie was the start of that for me where it really intrigued me. And uh, so it was the start of all that for me. That's kind of a bummer in a way because it's really the best of the lot. Right, exactly. And that's why this one's held up so high to me because it doesn't get any better than this one. I, you know, I know I said this before we started the show, but this is one of the most rockin'est movies. Right. It, even though it's dealing with very classic storytelling and has these very dramatic British uh, or Irish actors, UK actors. Right. Um, let's be Big Tent. And uh, despite all that stuff, it is just metal. Like the yeah. stuff that goes down in this movie is the best. You can have your Lord of the Rings kids. I'll take my Excalibur, Excalibur and be perfectly happy. You know, you know, I'm right there with you, man. I feel the same way. I think this movie is the standard that everybody's trying to reach to. And, and uh, you know, it's not appreciated enough. Well, no. let, let's take a, let's take a moment for the fourth member of this crew here, the audience and say, I just watched it, and and although I missed the boat on some of it, I, I'm very familiar with with a lot of the the stories in it, and I had seen it. Uh, I'm I'm not 
as huge a fanatic as, as Bowen and Ricky, which is not a problem. Um, but you need to watch it because right. just like they're saying, it, not only does it take some, some tales that were made to be timeless, they were made to be dramatic. They have a lot of real visceral ideas in them, you know, such as incest, such as violence, such as, you know, s- stealing the crown, stealing someone's wife, having babies out of wedlock when it wasn't an, an, an okay thing. As a matter of fact, it was something that could get you killed. Loyalty and magic and fate and the once and future king. They're all involved and they're all told in this story. And that's why it's so long. And that's why it ranges. And by the end of it, it almost has like a space epic feel. You know, everything in it is disjointed and, and, and kind of frightening because they're starting to get into the mists of Avalon. They're trying to, they're starting to get into where, uh, and they start out this way, but they also maintain it throughout that there's a realism and there's a fantasy and the line between is fudged the whole way through. You kind of center all the magic stuff around Merlin and then later Morgana. But, you know, Merlin says multiple times through the course of the film, like the age of magic is kind of winding down and this, is, you know, we're entering the age of men. And, right. and that's a very, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings idea that that the idea of Arthur understanding his role as king, which costs him dearly on a personal level, uh, surly, drunken Liam Neeson accusing her of uh, having an affair with Lancelot, which ironically isn't true until he accuses her of it. Um, yeah. But That's the this, irony. yeah, the scene where he's, uh, where Arthur and, you know, Guinevere is saying like, you have to be my champion in this situation. And Arthur's like, I can't, I mean, the laws are the law and I'm the King. I have to judge this. And if the laws right. don't apply to me, then they don't apply to anybody. Right. And, and, and that is purely Arthurian. It's like his character is legitimately fantastic in this movie where he goes from being the squire, you know, who who removes the sword and and immediately hands it away. You know, he is the best of of what humans can be. And even when he makes mistakes, he immediately understands the mistake he made. Like when he and Lancelot are fighting, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but he ends up calling on the power of Excalibur to defeat Lancelot, which then breaks the sword. And, you know, Merlin is there to be all creepy and wonderful. He's like, you have broken what could not be broken. And immediately Arthur is like, it was my own pride and vanity. Like I, I, I called upon the power of this sword that has been wielded by my ancestors and, and in theory, kings to come. And because of my own pride, I've destroyed that. And I, I'm not worthy to wield this sword. Right. And because he recognizes that the Lady of the Lake that watery tart um, <laughs> shows up to give him a repaired Excalibur. And you're like, that is awesome. And um, then the, the, the face that Merlin makes after he gets the sword back is the, the relief that he has. He's like, man, we just about blew that one. Can we, can we start with Merlin? How amazing Nicole Williamson is as yes. Merlin. You're right. You watch Merlin. He brings all the entertainment. He brings the great quote at the right time. His acting is spot on. Like he's, he's such a man out of his time. You know, when he comes in, it's like he's observing everything like this is beautiful, but it's something that I'm not really a part of. It's something I'm just watching. If you are out there and you've never watched Excalibur, it's going to be overwhelming and look to Merlin for your guidance. Yeah, he's kind of the moral center of the movie, really, as well. I mean, even though Arthur is is certainly um, trying to do the right thing and and be the king that uh, he is fated to be. But it's Merlin who takes them away from Uther because he would probably grow up and be a real jerk if, you know, Uther had raised him. In my notes, I've got Uther is a piece of trash. <laughs> yeah, he really, like, 
the fact that Merlin as he's and Uther is of course Arthur's father um and Arthur is the product of this um adulterous relationship that thanks to Merlin Uther gets to have with the wife of uh his enemy. Hey, but they're not enemies originally. Hey, like originally Uther's got Excalibur and we're trying to unite uh Britain into one kingdom and there's, you know, an opponent and who's willing to concede some. And it's Merlin who's got to be like, Uther, the guy is trying to meet you halfway here. How about you not be a jerk and we right. stop all this fighting? Right. And then immediately, as soon as they're friends and are having dinner and the enemy then is like, hey, my wife's going to come out and dance for us. Uther is just like, I'm going to have sex with her. <laughs> I don't care what it takes. It's yes. It is going down. And Merlin's like, are you sure you like, you're going to risk everything in doing this. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and so, yeah. So like Merlin calls the dragon breath and, you know, uh, and, and Uther has his way with, uh, his enemy's wife, which produces Arthur, but it's just like, you are the worst King ever. Like and you were, you were sacrificing the peace of your kingdom for a piece. The weird piece of uh, cinema history of that, too, is Egraine is actually John Boorman's daughter. <laughs> I thought it was his wife. Oh, my God. His daughter is creepier. <laughs> I believe that's correct. I believe it's it's one of his daughters. The Agia Argento right. uh, syndrome. Hey, something we forgot to do uh, the for the folks that haven't seen this movie. Here's, I invited somebody else to do a synopsis for us and... and uh, they couldn't get it done in time, so in its place, we got a real crappy Mr. T. Hey, fool. Hey, fool. Going to tell you about Excalibur. 1981. Merlin the Magician helps Arthur unite the Britons around the round table of Camelot, fool. Even as forces conspire to tear it apart. Mmm. The meta score for this movie is pain. He really likes the word fool. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that too, that every, like that was one of the more aggressive Mr. T outings, I think. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I do have something here. Hold on. He, he just, <laughs> he just sent it to me. Hold on. Let's look. Hi, Ricky. Hi, Danny. This is Duncan from the podcast under the stairs. And what I wanted to do just now is record a short message thanking you very much for the opportunity to guest on your show last week. It was my first time on Hail Ming Power Hour, and I can say that it was one of my favourite recordings I've ever done as a guest on anyone else's show. And it was so much fun finally getting a chance to discuss Outland and Highlander on a podcast. What's this? Uh, it's an email from Ricky. Hi, Duncan. Thanks very much for appearing on the Hail Ming Power. <laughs> Ricky, this is so weird. I'm just recording this message to you just now. Uh, thanks very much for appearing on the Hail Ming Power. It was a blast having you on. I was wondering if you could record a synopsis for one of the movies on next week's show. Our special guest will be none other than Bo Ranstall. <laughs> Being of my existence, Bo Ranstall. My colleague over on Duncan and Bo come correct. Mr. Perfect here, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Mr. Smooth, smooth voice, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Mr. Schadenfreude Gaming, Bo Ransdell, with his perfect arguments and his I wrote a movie and read my books. Mr. Bo Ransdell. I'm only joking. I hate the guy. I actually hate the guy. 
I hate you, Borans. Well, what's the synopsis here? Oh, trust you, Excalibur from 1981, a movie that I love. That's fantastic. Trust you, Bo, to pick that. Oh, I don't know why I do these things. Especially. This is for you, Ricky, and that. This is not for Bo. Screw you, Bo. Um, the movie was directed by John Boorman. And it stars Nigel Terry, Helen Mirren, Nicholas Clay, and other folks. The synopsis, Merlin the Magician helps Arthur Pendragon unite the Britons around the round table of Camelot even though forces conspire to tear it apart. I wish I could wish this review to suck, but I know Bo's on it, so it won't. <laughs> and I wouldn't wish a bad show for Danny and Ricky. This is a catch-22. Oh, no, I'm out here. I hate you, Bo Ramstall. I hate you. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the funny thing is, he means all of that. Like, the stuff that he sends to my home. At first, it was just dead animals. And now, like, I've been swatted a few times. I, I feel like that's largely Duncan because when I ask, like, who who called this in? They're like, we couldn't understand him. It sounded like somebody who had some form of stroke. So, yeah, I understand. I understand. I don't, like... I, from from what I understood of that introduction, he had a great time on the show and wishes me well. That's all I understood. The rest was pops and buzzes. Hey, Ming. Right. What have I gotten into? <laughs> yeah, this, this is a conflagration that is going to cost literally billions of dollars and millions of lives at the end of the day. Because we're talking about Excalibur, and this, this movie is a, a fantastic rendition of all that, the, the more it sets in my mind, this morning, the, the more what I saw last night is so much more epic. It's so much bigger. Because while you're watching it, it's a lot to take in. But the, the more it, it sets in your mind, the more you start to think about what happened. And I, I think that's something that you should realize. Don't, don't turn it off because it's starting to overwhelm you. Just let it set. Think about it later. The other thing I wanted to do is just give a plug, give a shout out to the, the Merlin series right. that came out on Channel 2. It was like a made-for-TV miniseries it also tells a lot of these same stories and i'm not going to say if it's in the same category but it is an excellent arthurian story as well and and i don't think anybody ever talks about it and we probably won't do a thing about we might when we do like g versus e or something but sure like i I just want to say also like uh sam neill plays merlin it's it's a really fun watch (laughs) yeah no i'll give it a shot i mean you know i like this character a lot and uh you know, and Sam Neill, I like a, a lot as well. He, he's he's my favorite Damien. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dinosaur hunting Antichrist. That's the movie we should make with Sam Neill. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as reason to watch the movie, make it so, sword. Oh, <laughs> when yeah. Picard goes to pull the sword out and the whole ceremony there and the whole. And you can tell he's putting an effort into it, man. Yeah. I'm Okay. Patrick Stewart, you know, a minute ago I, I, I said that um, Helen Mirren is a good-looking woman. Well, I want to be equal opportunity and say Patrick Stewart looks great in this. Liam Neeson, not quite so much. He's a little scraggly, but he was pretty young. You give him some credit. Uh, Patrick Stewart looks great. He's always such a force on the screen. Right. I'd do him. Anyway, <laughs> I, I want to get into that that scene too because, first of all, the the lance that's going on, the, the tournament, it's like just a bunch of – People on horses like playing grab ass in a field. They're like popping <laughs> each other. <laughs> it's medieval grab ass. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's just like they're they're all like kind of 
bopping each other and they fall off the horse. They hate each other. Nothing. It's not like the Lance. It's not like the jousting you see later in the movie and in usual tournaments that you see in medieval films. They're just kind of riding around. And then finally, I guess they decide, well, I guess, you know. Um, uh, I remember my first joust. It looks far worse than it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Kay says that to uh, or Kay's father. Yeah. It says to Kay. Yeah. Loden Grange. So Leoden yeah. Grange is uh, uh, Patrick Stewart's character, and he goes over to pull the the sword. And I love all those, like just like in the Sword in the Stone, the, uh, the the Disney one. Everybody's pulling on the sword. Well, just put your back into it, you know. Like <laughs> you, everybody wants that sword, and and it becomes it comes such a great center point for for drama. And he does such, he he puts that thing on his forehead, and he he hunkers <laughs> down, and then he just fails to get it, and it's just. Well, I, I thought it was me, you know. I thought I was going to do it. <laughs> at, at the culmination of that whole thing, when, when Arthur does go pull the stone or the sword from the stone and, and everyone comes around and, and they say, a boy king, you know, I'm not going to follow him. And they put it back and, and they still Let can't the pull it. Let the boy try. Let the boy try. Well, Lodengrade <laughs> stands up and, and he says, I'll follow him. Right. Anyway, the, the guy says, who's going to follow that boy? Nobody's going to follow that boy. And he starts rallying everybody. And he looks at him and he says, uh, will you will you be stand with him or with us? And he's I stand with him. Yeah. And and they immediately declare war on him. They right. start to siege his castle. And Arthur goes off with Merlin and has a moment that I have to to say it's an awful lot like Dagobah. Empire Strikes Back. Yep, Dagobah. It's a lot like I mean they came out this they were they were in production at the same time. So I don't think either one of them pulled from each other. But Merlin and and Arthur, you know, they have lizards and snakes like like making them jump. It's the same like. Breakdown, which always makes him the Yoda parts of, of the original trilogy, my favorites. But then, then you know, he's like, well, we have to go. We're, we're coming over the hill. And by the way, these are the people loyal to you. They're right here. Let's go fight. And they go to, to take Lodengrage's castle. And, you know, much like Uther, you know, it was sieging for, for the woman. Well, Arthur sieges to, to, to help his supporter. And then at the end, you know, his, his daughter becomes his love. I've got in my notes that uh, Merlin walks like Jason Voorhees, because he yeah. turns around and he's like a hundred yards away instantly. He's yeah. like, holy yeah. crap. Well, another thing I love from this, you know, and this this falls to the the beauty of the Arthurian legends and the stories, is that, you know, what does he do when he when he encounters the man that was telling everybody not to follow him? He gives him Excalibur. Yeah. He says, Here, here's Excalibur. This is what made the decision, not me. Right, and right. strike me down if you if you want. And the guy goes to strike him down and can't do it and ends up knighting him so that yep. he will be his equal and he can follow him as king. It's the difference between Uther and Arthur. You know, Uther took what he wanted. Uther was all about himself. Arthur's all about the others. He's right. a just king. Great and Merlin's story. reaction in that moment is great, too, where he's like, he's surprised, genuinely surprised by it of like, what is this? Right. You know? Another thing to watch out right before that scene is Merlin the Horse Whisperer. Yeah. Yeah. He just walks up, latches the rope to it to pull down this thing that they to, you know, to climb up, and he just whispers in the horse ear, and he takes off. Yeah, and they, yeah. they pull it down. And, ah! <laughs> We're trying to siege this castle. Ah! And then they all die. Yeah, and King Arthur's hopping around the castle walls like a right. monkey. And, and Stevie Nicks is watching him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then she goes, Father, look. And he's like, this guy's like beaten, trying to kill him. And he's, Father, look. He's like, a little yeah, busy yeah, yeah. here, honey. 
Yeah, and, and Guinevere is beautiful there, it just all, all natural. Later, when she becomes queen, gets the eye makeup. I wasn't as impressed. But Patrick Stewart was still there, so it was absolutely. okay. Another thing that is absolutely, uh, completely rocking about this movie um, is Old Man Lancelot. He is pledged to the king because he finally found a, a leader who could best him in battle, and he has declared his, you know, given up his lands and his title and everything just to serve this king. The downside is he's got the hots for his king's wife. Right. And is doing his level best not to give in to it. To the to the point where people are like, Where are you all the time, Lancelot? You just every you come into town, you drop off Percival here and we send him to the kitchen and then you're gone again, you know, off to the woods. And then, you know, when they finally consummate this illicit affair and Arthur finds them and drives Excalibur between them, which is awesome. A king without a sword, a land without a king. king. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And so, and then Lancelot just disappears. Like he goes away. As he should. Because he is, he is shamed. But when we next see him in the movie, he's just this wild haired, crazy guy. (laughs) And the, the next time we see him in battle, because you know, the whole deal with Lancelot is not only is he trying to be, you know, the most chivalrous of knights and the best of knights, but that he's also incredible in battle. There's no equal to him. Yeah. And we see him as this crazy old homeless person tossing around a big spiky stick and just laying waste. And it is fantastic. Yeah. Like it's if uh, a normal person had a, a baby with a bear and that <laughs> bear baby grew up to wield weapons. And that's wow. Lancelot in the last scene of this movie. It's so good. I expect him to say "stego, stego, crawl, crawl" because he he looks yeah. like Yellowbeard. <laughs> Yellowbeard. Yeah. I always have a pet peeve with Lancelot. I mean, even to the fact that when he's he's exiled himself because of his conduct, he's still leading all those people against the knights because of how how they've you know let everyone down. He's he's proselytizing. It, that's so Lancelot. It's like even though I'm not good enough and I and I give all this stuff away, I'm still going to tell other people what to do. I've always had beef with Lancelot. And I always will. Yeah, I I always saw that as Lancelot externalizing his self hatred that he was leading people against the knights because he couldn't he didn't have the courage to be the knight he wanted to be. Well, sure. I mean, but but he's still you know. I mean, I think the thing is he's a natural born leader, so he can't help but to have people flock to him, and that might be his greatest enemy. He he still needs to step off though because he's not as good as he thinks he is, and he never will be. He thinks he's hot snot, but he's really cold boogers on a paper plate. Is that the thrust of the argument? <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Wow. <laughs> All right. Another thing to look for in this movie, this is one pimped out wedding, man, that they have. Oh, it's, it's extraordinary. It's yeah. So I love all the banners. It's like, is oh, it indoors? Is it outdoors? It doesn't matter. It's beautiful. Awesome. And that's the thing about this movie. We haven't said it enough, but man, this movie is beautiful. The way it's shot, the way everything shines. They did a great job showing the contrast of you know the wealth of the land versus when it's a wasteland. The movie is absolutely beautiful. Oh, for sure. It definitely uses the landscape well, but I mean, it, yeah, John Borman doesn't have a problem framing a shot or highlighting the the beauty there. Like the, there's that great scene where, uh, and this is again towards the end of the movie, but when Percival tosses Excalibur to the lady of the lake of just how striking that image is of the slightly off center arm extending from the water, holding the sword. And then suddenly it submerges. It's 
just beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I've always loved the shot of Lancelot fighting himself. You know. Oh sure. And Still the, wound, my lord. And that shot, I, I've watched that over and over of how they pulled off the sword going through the side because you see the little piece that's behind him. And, yeah. Man, and to hear John Borman talk about it, simple effect, but it looks absolutely incredible. It's a it, great effect. You're right. It looks great. I watched it last night, and I said, man, that's, I don't know how they did that effect, I, but, I but still I, don't I'm just willing to believe they just stabbed him. Yeah, because that's the way it looks. I'm pretty sure that happened, yeah. <laughs> he was Irish. They can handle it. Go ahead and stab me, you wee fatty. <laughs> Sorry, I think it would be more like, leash. go ahead and stab me and me lucky charms. Yeah. Hoi, toy, toy, toy. Again, I'm sorry for all of our UK listeners. Uh, I I appreciate you and your ethnic diversity and do not wish to insult your accents in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and my animosity is really just limited to one Scotsman. Um, <laughs> some blood feud yeah. uh, I want to point out early in the movie it moves so fast and it covers so much ground I, I think we missed this but I have in my notes and I just want to run through them real quick um, you know Uther is saying talk is for lovers uh, Uther is a great uh, mixed character to start the thing off with you know they need somebody to be king and he's the guy but he's not the guy to bring it home and Merlin seems the lo- sees the long game He's got to get somebody in charge so they get the right person in charge. But until somebody's in charge, uh, it, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. I also want to say while he is disguised as uh, Igraine's husband, uh, Cornwall, Cornwall's, uh, you know, been lured out and he gets killed. And this scene, you know, for, for any horror fans out there saying Excalibur, it's not for me. Shoot. Cornwall falls off his horse onto this big spiked. I, I don't even know what it is. It's like a big dome covered in spikes, and they all stab straight through his plate mail. Yeah. While his wife is getting ravaged by his enemy. Man, there's, I, I mean, that right there is some brutal stuff. You know, I spit on your grave. Well, check out this. Check this out. I mean, come on <laughs> well, And when he uh, cuts dude's arm off the Excalibur, showing you the strength of Excalibur, but that's one of the first time I've ever seen somebody get an arm cut off. Yeah, just hacked. And and you see all through this movie, man, there's there's some carnage going on. And also the the other horror thing is when Percival's hanging up in the tree. Oh, the tree. And uh, maybe it's not when he's hanging up, but there's bodies hanging from the tree that's been hung there for a long time, and you see the the bird pecking the eye out of the, the other body that's up there. It's pretty gross. Yeah, when, when Mordred shows up in his golden baby costume yeah, and, uh, and, and takes him past the tree and he says, they weren't worthy. You know, right. the, and, uh, there's, there's a, an extended scene of a, of a crow pecking this guy's soft parts out of his face skull. Yeah. Face skull. Kind of have to. <laughs> it's Mordred, the name of my band. Face <laughs> for skull. You, for you playing at home. Mordred is the son of Arthur and his sister. And it's like, I have given you a son, my king, my brother. <laughs> That's right. It's gross. It, it it is, and you know, again, this all takes place relatively quickly. Like a lot of a lot of this stuff does. A, a lot of the the movie is kind of this rush to set up the big wow. set pieces that are, are going to. Because she's on top of him, then bada boom, bada bing. Next thing you know, she's having the baby, and 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 Morgan Lefay or Morgana, depending on how you you want to name her from the from the history, 
or from the legend, pardon me. I mean, you got to say that she's bad for not only, you know, first of all, she, she sees right through Uther. She sees right through his, uh, his disguise when he uh, ravages her mom. Because that's where Morgan came from. You know, she was right. the half sister of of Arthur because she was a grain and Cornwall's daughter. Um, but also, when she has her own baby, and who pulls that baby out? She, she pulls does. that baby out. Right. Yeah, you know, the baby's coming out. She grabs it and pulls it out, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm glad you're here." <laughs> she's a real do-it-yourselfer, and I respect that. Well, people yeah. were tougher back then, you know. Sure. Yeah, she's she's a fun character because she's also, you know, Guinevere's best friend. She's the one kind of whispering to uh, yeah, uh, Gowan yeah. uh, to like, hey, I think maybe something's going on between Lancelot and Guinevere. But yeah, it's and, and you know, her Morgana's big thrust is I want to learn what Merlin knows. And then once I know that I'm going to crawdad him. And and basically kill him for all intents and purposes. So freeze him away in his his secret spine of the dragon cave. Right. And then raise my auntie Arthur baby, Mordred. <laughs> and then you know, he's gonna be the the next king. It's I mean, it's a good plan. Like everything she does in the movie is geared towards that of of bringing Arthur down. And and she makes a nice villainess, but you know, there's also this undercurrent of, yes, yeah, she has this motive of like creating the son that's going to be the king and, and all that. But the, uh, underneath all, all of that is her desire for all this secret knowledge, too. Right. That, you know, that's ultimately kind of her undoing is just wanting to know. Look into the eyes of the dragon in despair. Oh, it's so good. It's awesome. And poor King Arthur, man, at this point, I mean, this dude, he's gone from. Top of the hill to he's hit rock bottom, man. I mean, dude's lost his wife to his best friend. He's had sex with his sister, and he gets struck by lightning. I mean, this dude could be writing country songs at this point. <laughs> yeah, another scene that I remember from my childhood is is Arthur being struck by lightning. Yeah, because it could be it could be on a space station, it could be in. Uh, a cathedral there's this there's this neon cross and they're all praying at it and you know and 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 he's just had incestuous sex with his with his sister his half sister unknowingly because she cast glamour over herself you know he's he's kind of he's saying guide us and what happens he gets struck by lightning and falls ill right there and you know, i think the the problem with with telling this this movie as uh, as we're doing is is that it is a collection of stories, and it almost could be done like an anthology. So you, you want to tell your favorite parts of every story, and you get lost because it spans so much time. You know, I just want to. You know, I'm, I'm just out there talking to the people who are listening because we're talking about our favorite scenes, and they're all in there, and they all tie together. But you got to sit through it because it's something that that you're going to to enjoy later as you think about how all the elements tied together at the end. And Bo said it earlier that, you know, when, when all this turns back around and life starts coming back to the land, it's just one of those cinematic scenes that just stays in my head forever. It's just perfect. So that music is actually, you know, Carl Orff's uh, Carmina Burana, which you've heard in a bunch of other stuff. But yeah. my first encounter with the music was in this, uh, and they use it a couple of times, but the, the most effective is when, you know, Percival who just can't do anything right the first time. Right. Like there are two different instances in this movie 
another reason you should watch it is just for Percival almost doing something, then screwing it up, and then going back and doing it right the second time. It happens yeah. twice. Uh, but once Percival's gone to retrieve the Holy Grail, which is, is a cool set of scenes as well. Right. Uh, my favorite being when he finds the knight kneeling in prayer at the top of the snowy peak. Right. And when he puts a, a hand on his shoulder, we realize, oh, this is just a dude who died right. uh, along the way. And, and Percival's one of the last of the the quest knights. But yeah, so he gets the Holy Grail, gives it to Arthur, and Arthur, you know, comes back to life. And, and we learn the secret of of the Grail and of Arthur, uh, which is that the king is the land, and the land is the king. And uh, another theme that runs throughout this movie. And yeah, that scene of like Carmina Burana playing the knights riding again, the yeah. land blooming behind them as they ride through it. It's yeah. phenomenal. That's it really a is. great piece of filmmaking. Yeah. But in addition to all the, like, Merlin's great, Arthur's a great character, Morgana's a great character, all that stuff. Let's talk about what a, a real piece of crap Mordred is from Jump. Like, I hate this kid from the first time you see him. Creepy, when he's man. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you first see Mordred, uh, as, other than as a, just a baby, um, he's wearing... This golden armor that looks like uh, it looks like a child, you know, it's got like a baby face on top of it. It's got these little little chubby baby pectoral muscles, you know, it, it little little chubby belly. And I think that that's done intentionally to make you. He's he's been preened just to be king and nothing else, and he's been given everything and it's gold, and that's who he is. He's he's going to you know he knows his destiny is to become the next king, and he's not going to have to work to get it. And yeah, he's he's slimy too. Yeah. To the point where she's anointing him with the oils and she's rubbing the oils into his skin. I mean, there, there's nothing about that that brings any kind of – it's not motherly. Right. It's not, it's not loving. It's just kind of awkward. Yep, very much. Well, you know, and we've already learned that Morgana plays a little fast and loose with, you know, who she might feel some attraction towards uh, yeah. or at least who she might use for sexual purposes. When he finally, uh, like on the back end of that incredible scene between Merlin and Morgana in her tent the the day before the final battle, when he's given her the whole like you know oh speak the words of the the charm of making, and oh that it's much better than I ever was you know all that stuff which is fantastic yeah um, well because he's a nightmare right he, yeah he's, he's a, a nightmare to others and then he goes right there and he yeah. takes out Morgana. Yeah, right there. And but when the little crappy Mordred uh, shows up, and he's a grown man by this point, or a, you know, yeah. young man, yeah. um, shows up in her tent to figure out why all of a sudden this fog has rolled in, which is going to hinder them in battle. And she pulls a shining on him, right? Where the the charm of making has aged her until she's this old crone. And Mordred just chokes her out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you are a terrible kid. Yeah. You know, cares, that's your mother. I mean, for, granted, you know. not the best home life, but, but come on, man, you don't choke your mom. But yeah, it's like their relationship is, is, is great. But Mordred just as a villain is fantastic. Like when we get to the end of the movie uh, and he does the, you know, come father, let us embrace. Right. And shoves the spear into him. And then uh, Arthur does the most baller thing that's ever happened in film <laughs> history. Yeah. Where he just drags himself along the shaft of the spear and yeah. drives Excalibur into his his son's chest. It's 
Oh, man. I mean, it's that kind of epic storytelling of, you know, when you mentioned Empire earlier. But it is that level of storytelling of just these grand epic stories that seem much larger than the film itself. Right. In a yes. weird way. It's so good. Yeah. That fight scene at the end is just incredible. Um, I'm just going to, you know, to, to tie us up here. I mean, it, we've been all over the place, but I'm going to give us some reasons to watch the movie. You know, first of all, it's high fantasy. It is high fantasy. And, and um, you know, and nowadays you don't get a lot of that. It's high fantasy because it's these retold stories that are, you know, are centuries old now. Uh, the Irish location, the Irish crew and actors, you know, th- there are a lot of really great actors in there that, that may, if they didn't get their start, it definitely was all around the beginning. Uh, I just got it that it skirts the line between fantasy and reality. Get into the story. You got Uther and you got Merlin. Merlin puts Uther in power because it's a necessary evil. You got Arthur and you got Merlin. Arthur comes to power because he's the necessary good. You got Morgana because she represents the old ways trying to come back. She represents the evils come back to haunt you. Uh, and she does a great job coming into the story and, and shaking things up when it has to be. You've got the Lancelot, Arthur, and Guinevere Triangle, which has been done ad nauseum. But one thing I like about this is although it's there and it's important, it doesn't derail the whole story. It just pushes the story to its necessary end. You've got the the incestuous relationship between Morgana and Arthur, which which you know also pushes the story to its end. It, Arthur is still good in this. You've got an epic battle for the end of it. You've got the Grail quest, which has all kinds of of horrific scenes of desolation where the the knights are on a quest for their king and I'm having a hard time, but but I want to end it out, you know, other than the ship to Avalon that that, that takes Arthur away, you know, right. spoiler alert. I want to end it with this quote from Bo. Come on, man. You don't choke your mama. <laughs> yeah. If we can all come together and with one simple idea as a species, it's you don't you don't murder your mother with your bare hands. That's right. Yeah. Don't choke her out. Now yeah. you drop a log on her like Remo Williams. Yeah, would do. <laughs> right, or you know, push her out of a train. I, I mean, yeah. whatever you get, don't choke her. That's just that yeah. indicates a level of of anger that you just shouldn't entertain in your life. That's rude, don't, dude. Don't do <laughs> it's, crack. It's don't do crack. Rude. It's a ghetto drug. <laughs> it's our public service announcement from Helming Power Hour. Don't choke your mom. The more you know. Um, yeah, it like everything about this movie. Like we're skipping over all kinds of stuff because it's a almost two and a half hour movie, right? That has awesomeness at every turn. Yep. You know, um, when Merlin is given Morgana the speech about like what what is in his lair, you know, it's uh, right. you know power and despair and knowledge and oblivion and all this stuff and oh, it's all oh, that's great. Um, the stuff I, I really like the stuff with Arthur just kind of leaning on Merlin to give him some advice and is most uncomfortable when he gets a straight answer. Right. You know, like that's not Merlin's game. So when he's like, well, I ever have a son and Merlin's just like, yes, you will. And it's like, Oh, that's not good. If he's not, you know, putting his little Merlin spin on things, that means there's some, some dark stuff is about to go down. Some dark business is afoot. Yeah, and, and the first time you see it, because there are so many stories kind of happening all at once and so many characters and that kind of thing, it's a movie that I would compare it to The Godfather in this sense of the first time you watch it, just let it wash over you and enjoy the movie for what it is. Don't right. worry about people's relationships to each other or 
you know, where, where does this guy come from? Where does this guy fit in? Um, just watch it to appreciate the filmmaking at work. Right. And then your subsequent viewings, you can get into the like, oh, that's right. You know, Kay is Arthur's, you know, kind of adoptive brother. And he's with him, you know, up to and including the scene where, um, you know, Arthur drinks from the grail and kind of is rejuvenated. And it's Kay that's right there with him. And even uh, watching that, you know, it takes you out to notice that, you know, the grail is kind of empty when he's walking and it starts filling up automatically while he's walking over there. So it's all these little subtle things that the multiple viewings, you start seeing these things like, wow, that's that's really cool. You know, I totally agree with Bo. I think first time through, you just are amazed by the cinematography of the whole thing. And the more you watch it, you start picking up these things and it has more depth to it. It's it's incredible. And it's it's all written, you know. It was written to to incorporate the the idea of the king and also the idea of religion to those who might not have had the same uh, religion. And Merlin's a guide there. Uh, also, you know, the, the drinking from the cup, you know, the 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 blood. Right. That's all there, and I'm not going to hammer that home because that's not what we do. Um, you know, you have to listen to Kiss the Goat for that. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say this, you know, I've always loved Arthur in the same way I love Luke Skywalker. <laughs> As right. weird as that sounds, right. but I'm, I'm gonna, I, I ran in this quote and I had to write it down where he comes back after drinking from the cup. And, and I'm just going to say the end of this quote where he says, um, I've lived through others too long. Lancelot carried my honor. Guinevere, my guilt. Mordred bears my sins. My knights have fought my causes. Now, my brother, I shall be king. And in, in that way, he's saying, you know, don't blame women for all sin don't blame the bastard child for your wrongdoings you know don't or don't blame women for all your guilt and he's he's taking all that on himself and again it's a very religious right comment he's saying you shouldn't let others bear all your burden you should let me bear all your burden yep. and and again it's a very religious point uh, i'm not getting into that you know we could talk about that in a different time but it is a great way to tie all these stories together and it's just a fantastic and rich system of legends. Yep. And thank you so much. Uh, thanks for giving me time to talk. I know I can ramble. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a uh, a scene that follows that one even that I think is, is like the scene that you're talking about, which kind of deifies Arthur in a lot of ways. And then we have a scene almost, you know, the the following scene when he goes to Guinevere, who is in a nunnery. You know, he he forgives her for the affair and, and asks for her forgiveness. And there's this great human moment where he says, you know, I wish there are times I wish I could I could have just been a man instead of a king. Yeah. And I wondered then if I would have been the kind of husband that you deserve. He has this kind of wistful moment as he's leaving. And he says, you know, sometimes I dream of that and then walks out. Yeah. And it's it, it's a great moment because you understand that the weight that he carries makes him unable to have the life of a normal man. Um, and, and he's all the more heroic for the sacrifice he's made so that he can be this thing that people need. Right. It's uh, and, uh, and then, this then he goes on to some kind of space fight in Eternia that you would see on He-Man. <laughs> sure. As you do. I, the, the one thing I will say about this movie is it. It suffers from the time it was made in that you didn't have the big cinematic battle sequences of, of a, right. you know, Braveheart, Duncan's movie of choice. Um, you know, something like that where it's taking the time to be truly brutal uh, in its depiction of the battles. 
I mean, there's still some fairly bloody stuff going on here, but it's not, you're, you're not seeing the limbs rendered, you know, and, and legs chopped off all the time in this film. Although, right. you know, it does happen on occasion, but it's not like those battle scenes aren't about that. Right. Um, it's pretty brutal though. Like it, it's pretty brutal. And just because the scale of the battles aren't as huge, doesn't mean that what you see, I mean, one of the things that, that medieval movies that have brutal fight scenes, I've always noticed is somebody's getting drowned in a, in a muddy pool. Like, you know, when you have a fight scene and somebody gets knocked into a muddy pool and somebody else is just trying to drown them, you know, that, that brings that visceral, like you're drowning, you're choking, you're, you're holding someone down right. until they lose their air. You're not swiping them dead with one stroke. Right. And I do think that it is very brutal. It, it points, it shows in many places just how, awful the situation is for mankind yeah and yeah. how much they need that guiding light like starman sure <laughs> if the, you know the starman probably visited back then and was like you know what arthur's got it i'm good yeah I'm, i'll be I'll, I'll be back when karen allen's born he's like hey morgana you, you want a baby i can pull one in you and she's like i got it covered <laughs> yeah right how about i, I can put one over in that yak yeah <laughs> Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. no. Oh, come on, man. No. <laughs> We're not talking about that movie right now. That has its own episode. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Let's give this thing a rating, man. I mean, obviously, as much as we goo-gooed and gaga about it, you know, it's it's a high movie on my list, without a doubt. I give it 20 yellow beards, kicking butt, and the dragon's breath. I will give it um, five out of five. Lancelot becomes Sasquatches. <laughs> oh, that's good. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I wish I had thought of that one. Um, that's what happens when you don't go first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this uh, a 10 Dothrak Nienves out of 10. Ooh. Uh, because the charm of making is like, it's one of those things that's mentioned a lot through the movie. And it's just this general idea of like, it's this, that's magic. The charm of making is magic. It's like in the last unicorn where he says magic, do as you will. It's the most dangerous kind of magic because it's just letting magic in. uh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So good. Oh God. That scene where Morgana just writhing on the bed, doing the charm of making is the smokes coming out of her mouth and it just keeps filling the room. Oh yeah. It's awesome. It's, it, yeah, it's both awesome and and weirdly sexy, and also like you understand that Merlin is getting his revenge finally. Oh, it's so good! God, this means. I, I wish that I up. wasn't looking so closely because you can see the smoke pouring out of like the spot next to her mouth. Right, I, sure. it doesn't. You know, I, I don't mind seeing how so special effects are done, but it was a little distracting because it went on for so long. Right. Yeah, they focused a little too much, and you can kind of you start figuring that one out. And that's why the 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 sword through uh, Lancelot works so well because it's just a one time two second little shot. So oh yeah okay I I didn't want to know I still don't want to don't tell me how they did it don't tell me I don't want to know I still don't understand it and I heard John Borman talking about it and I still say I don't really understand how you pulled that off so it's like that that scene from uh, Cannibal Holocaust now I know how that one's done so I'll never be able to see it and not know. At least, at least you know how the one in Zombie Holocaust happens, where they just throw the dummy down the stairwell and the arm pops off. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen with zombies. That's something they live with every day. 
I, I saw a movie called um, Chinese Super Gang once where a guy smashed a, a dude's head and then they just clipped to a watermelon that had been painted black and they smashed <laughs> the watermelon. I, I'm not sure how they did that. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms. To see you will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. All right. Thanks to all of you out there listening to us, hanging out with us again. It's been an absolute blast having Bo with us. Uh, Again, we thank him for everything he does for us and getting us out there to you folks to listen to us. And uh, we're very appreciative of that. And uh, dude knows his movies too, man. So it's just great to be with him. Uh, Way more knowledge than I have. I think he and Danny... Or, or more alike as far as that. They don't speak the same language I do of, yeah, yeah, that dude, and all that kind of stuff. So, Dude's pants. Dude's pants. <laughs> you know, the guy with the face in the movie. Keep listening to the show, man. We appreciate it. Bo, thanks again, like I said, man. Oh, dude, totally my pleasure. It's a blast, and I apologize to uh, to your listeners uh, for for carrying on like I do. But I love both these movies, and if you haven't seen them, you should totally watch them. I'd you hear that, have, everybody? He apologizes. It's okay. <laughs> I'd I'm rather sorry. have somebody on here that actually loves these movies than just going through the motions, though, because it's all about that. It's about the love of them. And all these movies, you know, really their only sin is their age. Right. You know, they're great movies, but because times have changed, you go to watch them, and, and you might be confused. But give them time. Let them set. It's, if, it's worth it's worth your effort. If they remade this one, they'd screw it up. It's that simple. <laughs> right. Can, can Arthur not have incestuous sex with his sister? Right. Well, and they'd make it into three movies. Right. Oh, right. With a yeah. big Box battle office. at the end of each yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And as Merlin said, which was later coined by Metallica, when a man lies, he murders some part of the world. Oh, Merlin knows me so well. <laughs> We would be lax if we didn't say, you know, Legion podcast carries our podcast and it carries a number of really entertaining ones. Uh, some guy has a podcast under the stairs thing. I'm not sure. Uh, I think his name is uh, Connor McLeod or something <laughs> yes. like that. Um, is a Highlander. Yes. Beyond that, though, uh, you know, Kiss the Goat, um, big horror and little podcast, uh, podcast on Haunted Hill has been putting out a lot of stuff lately. Um if you're into horror movies and you're looking for an angle, or you're looking for new things to watch, please go by Legion Podcast. Check it out. I would, you know, give you the uh, web address, but I mean, come on, just Google stuff. Legion Podcast. Google it, you bastages. Yeah.
Don't forget your ratings on iTunes also, not just for other shows, but for this show in particular. Right. Uh, if you're listening to this show, go to iTunes and, and leave a rating and review because that makes a, a giant world of difference. Yep. It helps old Ming out. Hail Ming. Hail Ming. Hail Ming. Hail Ming. <laughs> oh, hey, we didn't get a Brian Blessed quote for these two movies. I know it. Brian Blessed quote for Starman. What do you have to say about Starman, Brian? Yeah, there was some death. Um, and, and Excalibur, come on. I mean, you were in that movie, weren't you, Brian? No? Let the combat begin to the death. Hey, he's bloodthirsty this week. He's ready. Yeah, he's got that in common with uh, Arthur fighting Lancelot. To the death of us. Will you shut up? <laughs> uh, uh, well, right. thanks for being with us. This is a great wrap up for the show. Thanks, Bo, for being on the show with us and uh, and bringing these movies to the table. They were Bo's choices, and they were every bit of fun to watch as every movie we would have chosen off our own. And a couple of them were already there. Uh, no, Excalibur's one of Rick's favorites. And yep. uh, thanks again for being with us. Say good night, Bo. Good night. Good night. Au revoir. <laughs> and her walking around naked with Donald Sutherland walking around naked. I was like, the hell is this crap? <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, screw it. I'm going. <laughs> I'm out of here. He called me a heathen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> hey, we're trying speaking to get him right, Speaking man. of cursing. What's your problem, man? I don't know. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> baby, I can't wait. Oh, baby. Oh, 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 oh. I'm here today and it is my great privilege. My privilege. Yes. Welcome back to yada yada. Bo Rensdale's Naked Party. Oh. <laughs> okay. That's, that's the song that we buried my father to. Really? <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> that would have been awesome. I can't yeah. wait. No, it was actually the Bobby Brown song from Ghostbusters too. <laughs> His name uh, is Vigo, the master of evil, trying to battle my boys. That ain't legal. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. and I think I'm gonna have to. Have to.